We are now coming to the end of Jonah. We're wrapping it all up. This is, believe it or not, the last piece of scripture before we get, we go into our Christmas series starting next week. So, uh, Jonah, prophet sent by God, not to his people, but outside of his country to none other than Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, right? And I've been saying this, the tension between these two nations would be like the tension between Israel and the Palestinians in Gaza, right? It's that kind of intense, intense tension and conflict. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. This is, God has mercy on that nation. He doesn't bring the judgment that Jonah was hoping for. This is God working out his compassion in Jonah's heart. What's, if you're, if you're inclined and you're feeling it, stand for the reading of God's word. But you know what? If you're unable to stand, please remain seated and uh, let's get into this scripture together. Here we are, Jonah chapter 4, the last few verses. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. And at dawn the next day, God, what? Provided, Provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Yeah, the Lord loves the animals. Come on now. This is God's word for us today. Lord, we just pray. I pray this morning for those who are not yet believers. I pray that through the scripture, through the word of God, I bless you to hear the voice of God calling you home to his compassion for you. And for those of us who've been following you, Jesus, I pray, may we hear your voice calling us out to those who do not yet know you. And may your compassion flow through us into ever-widening circles of renewal. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, grab a seat. Here we are in the final, final stretch of Jonah. I want to start with an illustration. I was, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment where you felt like God answered a prayer in your life? Maybe it was a big thing, a little thing, but it was the kind of answer that you just, couldn't, you just knew, maybe nobody else would see it this way, but you knew God is involved in your life. God is at work in the world, right? Um, I asked that question to our staff, and I was looking for maybe someone to share a story that we could use as a springboard into some testimony time to pray for people with similar issues, right? Like maybe God provided something financially. Well, let's pray for people who need financial help. Something like that. Well, the first person to, to, to volunteer was sharing about how God had heard his prayer and raised up a dead plant. Yes, a dead plant. And I was like, this is not what I was hoping for. So they go on through this story about how they were a new believer and were just testing out 
prayer. And there was this dead plant shriveled up and he prayed for the plant and the plant the next day was like, had grown and was thriving and fully revived and he couldn't believe it. And I was like, okay, next. Anyone else got a story? And I was just kind of like, let's move on, right? Like, that's ridiculous. And this other person goes, no, actually, I have a story too about a plant. I'm like, really? The plant thing is grabbing a hold of people. And she's like, I was sitting with some friends and we were talking about how like, man, this plant that's withered sitting right next to us in this pot is just how we feel. Let's pray for the plant and pray as a sign of God renewing us. I'm like, oh, something like that, right? So they pray for this plant and the plant like the next day is thriving and fully restored. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm getting a story now about a plant. So then I realized my wife, when we moved into our home after being out for eight months, right, doing all this reconstruction work because of damage from water pipes, uh, her favorite plant in the house had died. It's a fiddle fig leaf tree. We've had it for nine years. It had lost all its leaves. It had been toppled over when we put it outside. She brought it back in. Now, when I see a big dead th- plant in the house, this is what I, where I go. I'm like, let's throw it away and go buy a new one. How many people here would be like, let's do that. Let's throw it away. Yes, yes, see, we are on the same plane. But see, the rest of you didn't raise your hand. You're more faithful. You're with my wife. And she's like, no, I don't want it to give it away. We, it's, we've had this plan for nine years. I want to pray for it. I'm like, what? You want to what? There she is. God, I just, and she's just praying over the plant. Plant, I bless you in Jesus' name to grow and bear fruit and leaves. And I'm like, oh my gosh, may no one ever see this. You guys, no joke. I, I, I wish I had got, I'll get a photo for it for tonight's service, but now this fiddle fig leaf after a couple months is full of leaves. I have never seen it so green and leafy ever in our whole time of owning this thing. It's huge. She's having to tie it up because it's so big. And every time a new leaf grows, she, she, she shouts, a new leaf, you know, and startles everyone in the family and she says to me, this is a sign of God's renewal for us as a family and for our church. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Seriously. But then hearing these stories in our staff prayer meeting about the way that God moves through this seemingly insignificant, my cynicism kind of thawed out. I said, God, maybe you are moving through a plan. Maybe this is a sign of your work in our church. That God, you're going to renew us. You're doing a great work in us. You know what? This whole story is on this last page. The whole thing culminates. You got the fish, you've got Nineveh repenting, but it all comes down to a plant. And God delivers his final lesson to Jonah and to us through the seemingly insignificant plant that both um, thrives and withers. And in this moment, God is using this whole passage, and I'm hoping you will see this, to show us that God is at work in our world through the small things and the big things, the seemingly insignificant and the larger-than-life dynamics at play in our world. God is at work all around us. Check this out. Let's go to the slide where I want to walk through a little bit of how we see that in Jonah. Real quick, the idea that God is at work, that there is material, physical, natural forces at work that we can see, touch, and feel, but, but beneath the surface of that, there is a spiritual dynamic. There is a presence. There is a God who is moving in our life. We see God at work in the book of Jonah through a calling. God calls Jonah to go to somebody. God is at work when he's sending us to other people. 
When God is nudging us to go pray for someone, to reach out to somebody towards an act of generosity, God is at work. God is at work through the sailors, right? Do you remember when he was in the boat and he was running from God? And God uses the sailors, who are not even believers, to get his attention. And what do they say? Jonah, call on your God. God is at work in our life through the people that he has sent to us. Maybe you're here this morning because somebody has invited you. Somebody has asked you to come, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. God is at work pursuing you. God is at work through storms. Remember that one? And how sometimes we go through storms, we go through trials in life. God is at work through storms to awaken us to a greater sense of our dependence and need for God's saving help in our life. How about this one? God is at work through prayer. Jonah is so angry about what God is doing. Ever been angry with God? Ever been angry? God is so angry about what is happening that he brings that prayer to God and vents his full anger. God is at work in our prayer life in the heights of our joy and gratitude, and God is at work in the low times when we are angry and confused and bringing that to him in prayer. God is at work through God's word. Last week, Jonah 4, verse 2, Jonah quotes Exodus 34. God speaks to us about his word. Last week, I was speaking to Jonah about his compassion, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. He speaks through us through the word of God, and he speaks to us through nature, right? Through the plants, the worm, the wind, the fish, God is at work. Look at this quote right here um, from theologian Michael Horton. He writes, scriptures know nothing of a creation or a history that is at a single moment independent of God's agency. Not a single moment. In all moments, God is at work right here in this room, right now, as you sit here and listen, God is working in your life. The question is not whether God is involved, get this, in every aspect of our lives, but what? How he's involved. Now that's the question. Maybe for some of us this morning, the question is for you. Is there a God at work in our life? For others of us, the tension is, I believe there's a God, but I can't see how he's at work because I'm in a storm. I can't see how he's at work because of what is going on in my life. My hope this morning is that this passage will help us, number one, see how God is working in our life and in the world. Number two, to join him. Because you can't join him if you can't see him. But when you see him and you see he's at work, God is going to grab a hold of you to join him. Here we go. See and join. Let's start with the first, seeing God at work in the world. Verse 5, let's reread this part again. Now, I want you to pay attention to how this passage reveals the agency and activity of God's divine presence. Here we go. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, we don't see God at work here, right? We just see Jonah. We see all that Jonah's doing. Where is God? Now, watch. Let's see. Right here, verse 6, God shows up. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And when Jonah was very happy about the plant. Now, let's stop right there. 
See, now let's just pause for a minute. We could look at this moment, and you could say there's Jonah going out, there's the leafy plant growing, and all of that is physical, it's material, it's natural, right? But beneath the physical, material elements of this moment, the Bible is peeling back the veil to show us how and where God is working. God is at work in the plant. God is getting our attention. And beneath the level, the veil of our material world, there is a spiritual, supernatural, personal presence working in our life. Now watch how it goes on. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God, now that word provided, if you've got your books, underline or circle it, this is a very key word. It's used three times in this passage. God provided the plant here, provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. It would be better for me to die than to live. Okay, four times in the book of Jonah, this Hebrew word provided is used. Four times. The plant, the worm, the wind, and can you guess the other one? The fish God provided. Now, why is that word important? Because this Hebrew word is sort of a springboard into a really profound theological idea. In fact, there are volumes of theology written on the idea, the notion of God's providence. Have you ever heard of the idea of God's providence? There's so much written about it, but I'm going to condense volumes into one little sentence. You ready? Here it is, right here. God's providence is this. It, come, it is the idea that God governs and is in control of all creation from the smallest detail to the largest systems. The idea of God's providence is the opposite of deism. Deism is the idea that God created nature. He created your life. He created the solar systems, but like a watchmaker, he created his beautiful creation, and he stepped away from it, and he is no longer actively involved in it. Here you go. You bought my watch. It's going to run. Have fun. No, see, that's not the picture of the Bible. The picture of the Bible is a God who is actively, dynamically, creatively, powerfully at work in the midst of our everyday life. That is God's providence. I want to show you how this moment actually illustrates that. Here we go. Let's go to the next one. Number one, we see that God is involved in the biggest things in our life and in the small things right? God shows up and provides the biggest fish to, to, to capture Jonah, and he provides and is at work in the smallest worm that chews the plant. He's involved in the big things and in the little things. Sometimes it's God moving in little things, insignificant things maybe, that makes us go, wow, there is a God. God is moving because this little thing here, why would God take notice of me or this? in my life. It says in the Bible that God has every hair on your head counted. Jesus said this, that God actually makes the sun rise on the believer and the unbeliever. God is at work in the small and the big things. He has it all covered. Number two, he's involved globally and personally. We see God at work in the great city of Nineveh. He is at work in the most notorious, powerful, cruel, corrupt city of the time. He is at work in the city that is an enemy to God's people. God is at work. God is at work 
in the dynamics of the nations and global powers that we read about in the news. God is at work, and he is just as much at work in our lives personally, and God hasn't even broken a sweat. He's just warming up. He is watching what's happening in global powers, and he is hearing your prayer and ministering and at work in your marriage and in your health and helping you find a parking spot. I love to call that one out because there can be a bit of like cynicism around like, oh God, in the parking lot. Get, come on, bring some real prayers. But see, I don't like when people say that because God is so big, he can handle what's happening in all of the cosmos and just go, oh yeah, you need a parking spot? Let me help you out with that. God is glorified when we bring him into the big stuff and the little things because nothing is too small or big for his power and nothing too small for his compassion. Doesn't that say something about God? That's the heart of God. And that's what Jonah is depicting. We also see that God is at work in the miraculous. The way that God miraculously makes the plant grow. The way that God miraculously captures him in the fish. The way that God miraculously brings Nineveh to, to faith. And also in the ordinary. God has set natural laws in motion. Gravity. Thank God for gravity. God has set gravity in motion. He has set the earth on a course to go around the sun every year, and he sustains it all and is actively present in all his works. As I said, Jesus said, God makes the sun. God makes the sun to rise on the believer and the unbeliever. See, this is God. This is the scope and range of his providence. God is at work in our world He's at work in the miraculous, the ordinary. He's at work when we're being blessed and the shady leaves of God's goodness is covering us. And he is at work in the withering when the scorching heat of our trials are bearing down on us. God is at work. That's what Jonah's showing us right here. The active, intimate, dynamic, powerful movement of God in our life. I want to show you Romans 8. One scripture to support this. This is such a powerful verse that if you're not a believer, I want you to just really pause for a minute, take this scripture to heart. This scripture is a profound assertion of reality. This is an ontological assertion that can change your life if you open your heart to it. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? And we know that in all things, God works. Hard stop, period. Boom. God is working in all things. Are you with me? That is a powerful statement, but watch. That's not even the best part. As good as that is, it gets better. Let's start again. And we know that God in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I want to just walk through that. And let's go to the next slide. Let's break this down. First of all, God is at work. That's what is being asserted here. God is moving. God is on the move. He's at work. When you walk out of here and you're going to the grocery store, when you're taking a walk down by the beach, when you're just walking in your neighborhood, God is at work. God is moving. And that's a thrilling idea that God is here, present, in your life. And at any moment, with just a shift of perspective, your eyes could be open to God himself moving in your life. To me, that is just so thrilling that we are just a 
perspective away from stepping into a supernatural realm with God in the midst of our ordinary lives. Number two, God is at work in all things, right? In the good, in the bad, in the small, in the big, he's at work. And then thirdly, God is at work in all things for? He's at work in all things for good. It says for those who love him, right? If you go back to Romans, he's at work for good for those who love him. I want to correct that, the understanding of that. Paul's right, but what we don't understand is the perspective. See, God's at work for good for everyone. It's only those who love him who recognize it. Let me just state that again. God is at work for Nineveh as much as he's at work for good for Jonah, but it's those who love God who see the love of God at work on their behalf. You see what I'm saying? If you're not a believer and you're here, I want to make that super clear. Let me say that again. God is at work for your good, but you don't see it. You don't recognize that God's love is working for you. But when you begin to love God, then your eyes are open and you begin to see the goodness of God working on your behalf for your good in all things. That's a powerful idea. And then the last one, God is working through those he has called to be his, or to his, to his purpose. God has a purpose, and it's to bring renewal through us. All right, so there we go. This is a powerful perspective. I want to ask you to consider right now two things. One, when have you had a moment where your eyes were open to God working in your life? Okay. Number two, is there a place in your life where you doubt that God is working for your good right now? Can you think of an area in your life right now where you're having a hard time believing that God is working for your good? Maybe a friend invited you to church right now, and right now you're wondering, I don't know how this guy in this moment is for my good. All right, and if this sermon doesn't hit you, then you better go get a co- take him to get a coffee because we need to get some good in you. But I'm promising you right now that God is moving on your behalf, even right now. He's speaking to you. Okay, let's go to the next one. So, see, once you see God, then God, it's like, oh, hey, what's up? Now you see me? Now God wants to draw us to join him. And I want to talk about that because that's what happens with Jonah. We don't just see God, we join him. He see, Jonah sees God moving for his good when he saves him from the fish. And then God says, hey, Jonah, come and join me and be my goodness to Nineveh. And he wants to do the same with us. Let's read right here, verse four. Is it right for you to be angry? And he's talking about Nineveh. Is it right for you to be angry? about what I'm doing for Nineveh. And then verse 9, he frames this whole object lesson about the plant between these two questions. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, I want to just break this down for us, okay? What is the lesson of the plant? What is God showing them? What's the lesson in the shriveling? Number one, Jonah has more concern for a plant that brings him comfort than for a huge city of 120,000 people and the animals. Anyone here love animals? Anyone here just, are you one of those, you, you love to sleep with your dog thing? You know what I mean? I don't understand those people, but God does. God loves the animals. You know, it's, it's funny to read commentaries about this little dot, dot, dot thing about the animals, but God loves animals because he loves his creation. So let's just keep that in mind. God has a huge heart for all that he has made. He cares about 
all of creation, and so we should too. And yes, we may differ in our opinions about how we care for our environment. Uh, okay, don't, I'm not pushing any ag- political agenda, but I am saying God cares for our environment. It's his. He loves it. Do you care how someone treats your home when they walk in your house? You better believe you do. And the same way God cares about how we treat his home that he has made. He cares about the earth. He cares about the trees. He cares about the environment. He cares about the animals. But above all, and yes, I'm saying that, above all, he cares about you. He cares about humanity. That just grabs me. Okay, now, um, number two, second lesson. Number one, Jonah cares more about his plant than about these people. Number two, Jonah resents God using him to bring his goodness to them. All right? He resents that. It's all good, God. You want to care about that? Just don't drag me into it. It's like getting married. You've heard me share this, right? Because when you get married, your wife's friends become your friends. Your husband's friends become your friends. You know, so I remember doing this retreat with 200 students. I was exhausted. I'd been teaching. And uh, my wife calls me up as I'm driving down the mountain. She says, babe, when you get home, hurry up, get dressed, because we need to go to Orange County. We're going to a wedding. I'm like, I am not going to a wedding. I don't even know those people. You're going to a wedding. And she goes, no, you're married to me. My friends are your friends. You you with me? You see, you start following Jesus, and all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, I don't need more friends. Like, oh, yeah, you do. Because I got a lot of friends. And Jesus starts drawing us to his friends, people he cares about, people we would never even think, no way, God, are you friends with that person? And he is. And he starts to nudge us to reach out to others because he wants us to meet his friends. Because through us, God wants to love others. He wants to bring his goodness to others through us. That means, you think about Jesus' range of friendship, God loves all people. And so God is training us and equipping us to grow our capacity to be able to love more people than where we started. So that the range of our capacity is not getting narrower. They don't have to become more like us. Actually, we're able to love people who are more and more unlike us. That is the Christian life. And if you want to follow Jesus, you have signed up for better and for worse in sickness and in health to grow in your capacity to love people who are more and more unlike you not as attractive as you, not as smart as you, not as stylish as you, not as athletic as you, not as amazing as you. You're learning to love more and more people who are not like you, right? You with me? That's what Jonah's dealing with right here. And then lastly, he doesn't only resent God asking him to join him, but thirdly, he links Jonah's anger to his comfort. He's like, oh, when you had the plant, you were happy. God, when you're blessing me, I'm thrilled. But the minute you start asking me to get uncomfortable, to be a blessing to someone else, now I'm mad. Are you with me? He makes the direct correlation between the Nineveh and the plant. Why is Jonah mad about the plant? Because it brought him comfort, and now it's dead, and it makes him uncomfortable. And that speaks to us and the challenge that we find in following Jesus. Because why? We follow Jesus because he loves us, right? Are you with me? If you're a follower of Jesus, don't you follow Jesus because he loves you? You get smitten. You get struck down, overwhelmed by the love of God for you, the way that you do for anybody that you want to be around with, right? They make you feel special. 
they make you feel like a million bucks. But now all of a sudden, God wants to start drawing you into his love for others. And that's the challenge. And that makes us uncomfortable. That stretches us. I want to talk about the cycle. Let's go to the cycle for a minute here. You know, that the, yeah, yeah. Let's talk, we talked about this last week. And I want to hit this. Um, this cycle right here for last week captured the idea that God's love for us transforms us when it flows through us. Are you with me? Here's the point. God's love for you saved you, but it's God's love through you that changes you. Did we get that? I'm breaking down justification and sanctification down into this, these simple terms here, but I'm going to say it again. God's love for you saves you. His love through you changes you. Let's talk about that here. See, last week, some of you weren't here, so let's recap. Last week, we talked about that when we start to get close to God, we experience his love for us, and the challenge is to receive his love. But when we do, that love begins to inspire, it begins to motivate, it begins to compel us to be his loving presence to others, right? And it creates this cycle. And when we're in the cycle, in the flow of both, we begin to be transformed and change as God's people to become like him. But here's the challenge. If we get stuck only seeing our relationship with Jesus as receiving his love, it's like this. You come to church, right? And I want to show up. I want to feel good. I want to get a good message, get my worship on. And then I want to leave without anyone making me uncomfortable. I don't want Ryan to ask me to talk to anybody. I want to just get out of here as fast as possible. Because why? I want to receive God's love, but I don't want to be uncomfortable and waste my time giving that love. Now check this out. See, when we do that with Jesus, then Christianity becomes another consumer product for our self-help and growth. And it's just nothing more than a self-help program for us personally. And that's it. Now watch what happens though. If you get stuck only giving God's love, and you're not receiving it, you're not getting filled up, and you're just out there loving the whole world, you become a savior of the world. And pretty soon, because you're not getting filled with God's love for you, you're getting emptied out and drained. You become irritable, hangry, and uh, grumpy, and, well, we could become kind of legalistic, right? We look at all the, uh, all the love we're giving, all the passion we have, and nobody else is joining us, and we become bitter, resentful, exhausted, burned out right? That's the older son. But the invitation through Jonah is to not just allow God to love us, but to allow him to love through us. That's what changes us and transforms our life. I want to give you an example just real quick um, that I see in a personal life. Someone was sharing a story with me, and I want to pull this up real quick here. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but yeah, let's do it. Um, Do we have that Oh, yeah. I, do we have that picture of the baptism? Do we have that picture? Okay, hold the picture. Don't. Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay, there it is. Okay. Kim. Yeah, Kim's here. I want to show you her story. She was telling me after she got baptized how meaningful this moment was, and she was telling me how she got here. I love origin stories. And she was sharing about how she was raised Catholic, but had kind of just not, after a long time, wasn't going to church, had wandered away from God. When she moved out here to California, she started feeling like, this is a fresh start for me. I want to get back with God. Was looking at churches, found our church online, and was thinking about coming to North Coast Calvary Chapel. She was thinking about it. She had it on her mind, but then all of a sudden she gets a phone call or something 
something from a friend, a client, um, that she hasn't seen in, get this, two years. Two years she hasn't seen this person. This person reaches out to her and says, hey, can we get some lunch together? So they go get lunch. They're hanging out, getting lunch together, and she's like, hey, you know what? This was so, so fun. Can we go for a walk together around the shopping center? And she's like, okay. And as they're walking, you know, she can notice her friend is nervous and a little kind of like uncomfortable. And then she just comes out with it. And she starts telling her, hey, I just feel like God wanted me to have lunch with you to tell you that he loves you and that he's pursuing you, something of that nature. And she just starts crying. And her friend is like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to push anything on you. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. See, I've already been wanting to get back with God. This is just confirmation. Not only that, but that friend, get this, just so happens to go to North Coast Calvary Chapel. And she goes, that's where I go to church. And here she is getting baptized because a friend reached out to her. And it was that confirming sign of God's love in her life. I love this story because, you guys, it's, so, it's, it's not rocket science. It's so simple, right? It's just... This friend of hers was willing to say, I just, she, in, in her, we were asking, like, hey, how did you get to the point where you went to your friend? She was like, I just felt God bringing her to mind again and again. God bringing her to mind, and God gave me a call to go talk with her, and I couldn't shake it until I did it. I want you to understand something. This friend, she's, she's more of a shy person. She's not a big personality. She's quieter. You wouldn't notice her in a room of, like, 10 people because she's just not that big demonstrative personality. She's a beautiful, radiant person, but she is just quiet, shy. And she could just feel the love of God through her, just drawing her to her friend. When we feel those impulses, when we notice people, when they catch our attention, sometimes God is drawing us to people around us because he is at work in ways we don't even realize. I want to read this scripture to you. Um, let's go to the Matthew 11, and um, uh, yeah, let's do Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 28, 16. Look at this. Look at what Jesus said here. So Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. It's his last speech to his disciples before he rises. Look at what he says at the very end. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that crazy? I love the Bible. It's so honest about our doubts. <laughs> then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go. Go make disciples of all nations. That Greek, the Greek word for nations, right, is the word ethnos. It's the word we get ethnicities. What he's saying is all people. He's saying, go make disciples of all people. Don't be constrained. Don't be limited by people who are different than you. Be willing to go to all people on my behalf and just know I might call you to somebody who you've never met, you don't know, you don't relate to, and is nothing like you. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, get this, I am with you always to the very end. Now that right there, you guys, when we allow God to sweep us up into the joy of his compassion, he's going to transform us. And that's what he's called us to do. You can be a Christian. You, you, I'm sorry. You can't be a Christian and not follow him. 
Just believing in Jesus is not what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who believes and has said, Jesus, I will follow you. Where is Jesus going? He's going to your neighbor. He's going to that checker at the grocery store. He's going out. And when you join him, something is going to happen to you. Check this out. Let's go to the slide with, uh, you think you know, no, no, the next one. It's like a little, it's like the last list. Yeah, after that one. Yeah, right here. Last week we talked about the challenge of compassion, right? Because it's challenging, right? It's not always easy to reach out with God's compassion. That's what I love about Jonah. He's, he's getting real with God for all of us. Last week we talked about the challenges, right? The challenge of getting out of our comfort zone. Are you with me? The challenge of letting go of control. The challenge of stepping into controversial moments. Or how about this one? The challenge of comparison. When we see God doing for others what we wish he would do for us. Giving others, bringing the love of their life to them when we're still waiting to meet the love of our life. When God answers their prayer for a home and we're still waiting, that stuff. Those are the challenges of compassion. But watch what happens. When you let God stretch you out and you join him, you're going to change. So brace yourself. Something is going to happen to you. Number one, when you step out of your comfort zone, you're going to become more courageous. You're not so afraid anymore about what people think of you. You're now able to talk to anybody. You're able to, I was talking to a guy this, this, between services. He said, you know, Ryan, um, normally I'd be kind of really nervous about this thing, but I've been stepping out and just dropping seeds with people. The other day, I would never normally do this, but this guy was sharing about his daughter and how she has a hole in her heart and he's just really worried about her. He's not a believer. And I just said, hey, I want you to know I am going to pray for your daughter. He just dropped that little word, God, into that moment. So now that father, huh, God's at work with my daughter who has a hole in her heart. God's at work. God's at work there. You see, and it wasn't like he had to like have some amazing apologetics presentation. Hey, let me show you my PowerPoint presentation about why God is at work in your suffering. You ready? Point, no. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for God, to God, for your daughter. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. How about this one? Control. When you start letting go of control, right? You start to find more confidence in God's timing than your own. I have a friend who had some kids, right? She had three kids, and she was about to just pull her hair out, right? And I ran into this friend after she had her fourth, and I was worried about her. I was like, oh, boy, four? Four boys. And I go, how's it going with the fourth boy? I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. She was beaming. And I go, you look like you're doing well. And she's like, things have gotten even easier with four. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, because with three, I thought I still had control. I was still under the illusion I can control. Now at four, I gave up. I'm done. I am happier. I am more peaceful. And I'm not trying to control things anymore. Things are crazy. Things are messy. But I am a happier mother. And I could see it in her face. I said, oh, I got it. I got it. Here's the moral of the story. You want to get peace? Get crazier controversial. God's compassion frees us from the polarizing extremes that human culture always wants to draw us into. Is Nineveh good or bad? See, Jonah wants to look at them as they are bad, only evil. And God's like, no, they are made in my image just like you. Is God for Nineveh or is he for Israel? 
And God's like, we're both. And I think sometimes in human culture, politics wants to divide us to win our votes. Because the stronger the boundary lines are between you and the other person, the stronger your adherence to your tribe. We've got to make sure that the fields on the uniform are not similar colors. You never see two football teams with the exact same matching jerseys. We got to make sure you know what team you're on. And that is the trick of the enemy to think you are on that human team. You are not. You are on God's team. And God's love and his compassion is for all people, which is why God is at work in all things, because God has sent you to all people. And that's freeing. That is so freeing. Because sometimes God may send somebody to reach somebody who's of a tribe that you feel is a threat to your way of life. And you, instead of condemning them, God's like, support them. That isn't glossing over or airbrushing sin or brokenness in the world. Does, is, does God see our sin or does he see his image in us? What does he see? He sees it all. And he can hold these together, which is why he can have compassion for all people. And then lastly, comparison. When we are not so worried, God, what you do for them is now no longer available to me. But instead, when we start seeing if God's doing something good in their life, I can say to God, God, pass it down to me. We move from a mindset of scarcity to abundance. Now, I just want to invite the worship team to come out. And as the band comes out, I want to just wrap it up like I did last week with this simple idea. God's love for us saves us, but his love through you changes you. A Christian is someone who has received the love of God for them and has joined his movement of compassion for those around us outside of our life, outside of our comfort zone, so we become more courageous into controversial issues so that we demonstrate a freedom from polarization and division that this world is desperate for and thinks it can only find peace in an all-out war between extremes. But there is a third option, and that is the option of God. And God is calling us into the bigness, the vastness of his compassion for all people and all things. That's why our value as a church is compassion for all people. That isn't a minimizing of the sin and brokenness we see, but that's daring to have a vision of renewal that is bigger than the storms and the brokenness we see in our life and in our world. We're not gonna airbrush the brokenness. There is evil in our world. There is evil in us. But the good news is, God sees through it to your renewal. He sees through it to the making of all things new. And he's inviting you into it. Some of you, as we go into this song, have never received God's love for you. I'm going to put it in very direct biblical terms. Apart from God's love in your life, you are dead. Because your life has no is not rooted in its core meaning when it's uprooted from the one that all things are made by, for, and through. You were made to be in relationship with God. It's not a statement 
about you as a person. It's a statement about your ontological purpose. You were created by God, for God, through God to live with him in relationship. Others of us, we know God loves us, but somewhere our faith is shriveling up because we are the, our awareness of the brokenness in the world is bigger than our vision of renewal. And it's got us in fear, anger, frustration. We're caught up in a spirit of anger like Jonah. But all the things that are not going the way they should, and God is inviting us to come out of the anger and into a vision of renewal that propels us with conviction and compassion. Where's God inviting you? To receive his love or to let it flow through you?